Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now one of the things we try to do here is to take a new perspective toward the world and ourselves. And this new perspective is to imagine or hypothesize that we're not really machines, but we're really spirits. That our essence is not matter, but energy. With this perspective then, however, it's necessary to be consistent, to apply to all human experience. And this brings us to the subject of illness and healing. And it leads to what many folks in the Western world would think, would consider to be a radical conclusion. If we are spirits, then illnesses must have an internal or spiritual origin. An ailment in the body would be a reflection of something wrong with our spirit, something wrong inside. Therefore, following this line of thinking, to heal the body, we will need to heal and treat the spirit. One of the leaders in the field of energy healing is our guest today, Patty Conklin, who has been described by many folks as one of the greatest medical intuitives of the 21st century. She's received numerous awards and acknowledgments throughout the years from many institutions, including honorary PhDs in divinity and humanities for her life's work. She has a private practice and is an instructor at the International Metaphysical University. And today, by the way, we're interrupting her stay at the Coptic Conference, where she is given a couple uh, speeches and talks, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Over 14 books have referenced her work, and even an episode of The X-Files was partially based upon her life work. She's just about to publish a new book called God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped. Welcome to the show, Patty. It's great having you. Thank you so much for having me on, Philip. Well, well, I in our little chat before we talked a little bit about what you're doing down there at, at Coptic, uh, and well, I'd like to address that a little bit. But I'd like to lay the table here, set the table for those p- folks who are who are listening who might not really know a lot about energy healing, assuming that I'm using the right term. So why don't you try to define, describe what what you do, what energy healing is? Um, you know, I would, I would take energy healing and kind of uh, transform it into uh, vibrational manipulation and, uh, or energy manipulation. Um, for me, it's uh, when I look at another person, I see particles and not their human form. And, um, and so when a disease is um, inherent in the body or an emotional upset, um, the frequency, the vibration will be off. And so for me, it's going in there and going in at the frequency of the disease and then 
bumping up the frequency um, so that it's back in alignment with the body. And in doing so, you also need then to uh, talk with the person about the emotional behavioral uh, aspect that got to them to the place of illness to begin with. Um, because for me in energy healing or vibrational manipulation, um, you really, you can't have a disease unless there's an underlying emotion or behavior. So those need to be addressed in addition to transforming and, and manipulating the frequency back to an ordered state. Well, one of the things that I think happens when the general public hears something about this is that we tend to perceive things like vibrational manipulation or energy healing from the lens of Western science, which, which has more of a mechanical model. And we sort of rewind the film a little bit and we think, well, how can vibrations and what is all this energy talk and manipulation? But what you do in your book and... I, I want to say that her book, uh, God Within, is, is one of the best books in this area, in my opinion, that I've read. But what, what you do is that you sort of rewind the film to the beginning. And, and, and you say that, you know, going back to creation, which is pretty, which is pretty dramatic, except scientists do it all the time now, that, uh -huh. that we're really not uh, matter that we're really that that really we began with some vibration or some spark. And can you just talk about that a little bit? Because I think that that gives what you're saying some power. To, that yeah. that, our, that our essence that our essence is really vibrational, right? It I mean, that's, really is. Right. It so, really is. And and I think for people and and I I come want to qualify this. Um, you know, I've had two days of hypnosis training in my entire life. So, so my book and my work is based on observation throughout my entire life, not because somebody trained me. So these are Patty perceptions of how I put the pieces together. But I really believe that in the beginning that the universe in and of itself um, in its development was a frequency, a sound wave, um, just, just kind of like um, vibrational waves rolling. Um, across a huge expanse of, of billions and billions and billions of infinity. And that eventually um, this frequency uh, began developing different frequencies as it, as it began growing um, and eventually evolved into a conscious, consciousness that many people will call a god or goddess or creator source, I call father, uh, whatever it is. Um, and I believe that in one moment in time that billions and billions and billions of sparks broke from this um, mass of frequency and actually became an individual soul. And I also believe that, you know, some people have a belief in past lives, um, but I believe that everything you were ever going to um, experience as that frequency was agreed upon in that time. And as we came into this planetary range, um, as just frequency, no, no solid form, but as frequency, um, we continued the evolution process where we began having emotion. And as soon as we started having emotions that were less than unconditional, we started slowing down our frequency 
And as we began slowing down our frequency, we actually became dense matter and came into form, whether that's an organism or whether that's a human being or whatever it was. Um, But it all goes back to frequency. And if people can remember that it's not about the stuff that's happening day to day in your life, it's the frequency that you're carrying within you. Um, We address it in in Western science as matter or particles, and indeed that's what it looks like at this stage. But when you're looking beyond the veil, um, you're not seeing the particles anymore. You're back to that flow of frequency uh, the wave of the frequency. Yeah, I like I like to sort of uh, take a step back here and just say that science and Patty and even yours truly would all agree that the universe began with energy. Yes. And the the question is where the energy came from, and I, I personally think that's not a, a question that could be answered other than to say it came from the source, God, spirit, right. infinite mind, all that. I mean, that's, that's something that uh, I don't know if, if we really, frankly, I don't think we need to know that answer because Correct. because a miracle is a miracle, doesn't matter where it came from. But, but what you're doing, it seems to me, is you are, you are sort of building your health model upon a vision of the world that is consistent with your experience and and I want to ask you in a second about how you came to this conclusion but it's not as radical as it may seem because modern science itself says the world began with infinite energy the difference of course is that their energy came from the dark void and in, and in my view, can, comes at us. Uh, it doesn't come from us or from Correct. the source. So now, and you said a couple things here. So I, I just want to lay that out there. But you said a couple things here about frequency, and and again, that sounds well. That's pretty weird. But we all have heard about getting into the flow and someone's vibe, someone's mm-hmm. biorhythms. You know, like we use Correct. a lot of these terms. Is it the same thing? When, it when, is. Okay, so it same. really is. We've we've labeled it so many different things, <laughs> yeah. but I like to take it back down to its simplistic form, which is it's just frequency. Yeah. And and um, you know, and I use frequency and vibration, energy, um, inter you know, interchangeably, um, because for me they're all the same thing. Um, but when when a when I look at a person, if you're looking at television and the cable goes out and you get snow. That's my world. That's been my world since I was born. I didn't realize that other people didn't look that way, you know, that didn't see the world that way. It wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that, that um, I finally was aware that other people didn't see the world that way. So in my world, if I'm given something brand new that I've never seen before, I have to feel it like a blind person um, because I have no reference point as to what it is. So I think that it's important for people to, to not get uh, caught up in, in labels or making it harder than what it needs to be. It's a very simple aspect of, you know, um, back into, you know, if we go into the, if the science model of, of you know, you, you can pat yourself on the leg. And if you understand that that leg is not solid, 
um, you can pass your hand right through it if you adjust your frequency to the frequency of your leg. And, and that may sound complex to people, but it's really simplistic. Um, and it's just the vibrations manifest according to what you believe and how you perceive your world. And if your perception of your world is challenging, then that's what the frequencies will manifest. Okay. And if you, if you feel your life is good and easy, then that's what the frequencies manifest. Okay, I want to try to understand something you said because it's so interesting that what you see is not... So you don't see solid things you see uh uh what vibrations or particles or like an ant i mean something that we would call maybe an unfinished animated movie or something i mean or, or do you see both or do you i mean i'm trying to understand when when you say that you you don't see uh what other people see what is it i mean when you look at somebody or your hotel room what do you see um, in sitting in my room right now, um, I know that the cabinet that the television is sitting in is brown, right. but I would not be able to tell you what, what shade of brown it is. Okay. Um, I could tell you that the television is black, but I couldn't tell you what shade of black. Um, so, and those are just reference points of, of you know, a lifetime of understanding the frequency of, of a specific color. Right. But, um, uh, you know, my kids used to uh, uh, dress me. <laughs> they <laughs> got into their teen years. They're like, seriously, you're wearing that? I'm right. like, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and they're like, it looks hideous on you. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's black. And they're like, no, it's not. It's orange. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I had to go through a learning curve of what things were. Um, I can slow my frequency down to... Um, uh, to look at something as a little bit more solid of an object, but it's exhausting um, to slow my sight down to that point where I can uh, look at things in a more solid, um, a, a more solid uh, surrounding. Um, but if I walk into a hotel, you know, if I'm if they book me in a five-star hotel and there's marble and there's glass everywhere, I literally will walk through the door and have to stand there and call out and ask for somebody to come lead me to the registration desk hmm. because I won't be able to see. Um, it takes a little bit of time for me to get my bearings. Um, and one of the things that I found really humorous was when I was in high school, I loved to read Lord of the Rings. Right. And um, and so I read the trilogy over and over and over again. And actually, when I'm on a flight, you know, in, to another country, I will read one paragraph and recite a paragraph from memory. But when the movie came out, as well as I knew this book, when the movie came out, it took me six times of watching the movie before I could discern and make shape to the actual characters hmm. so I could tell the difference of who was who. Have, have you always had this ability, um, or is this something that you acquired over time? It, it developed more and more as I grew. Okay. Um, I'm very auditory. So when I was little, I'd hear trees talking or, you know, stones talking. Um, and I had what I considered to be a visitation when I was seven. 
and um, you know never been to church. My parents were were um, you know addicts, and um, they kind of had their own world. And um, I had what I considered to be a visitation, and I was told that um, 38 to 42 would be my greatest growth years. 42 to 62 would be my greatest contribution. And that the purpose of my journey was to teach people to become insubstantial without transitioning and had no clue what that meant. But as time went on and I became 38, I had already overseen women's literacy programs in 30 countries throughout Africa, Asia, and Latin America, which was fascinating, Philip, because it allowed me to see a country, how people thought, and how that thought pattern then um, related into the different illnesses specific to that country. So it gave me this whole range of realizing how people thought their cultural, their DNA, their aspects um, created that uh, aspect of disease. Wow. So at 38, I was director of Canine Companions for Independence in Florida, um, overseeing 12 states. And I I had another visitation. And Father just said, I want you to uh, take the family and move to Hartwell, Georgia, and fully begin walking the path I asked you to walk as a child. And uh, within five minutes, I called my boss in Santa Rosa, California, And I said, it's March 23rd. I'm resigning effective July 15th. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm moving to Hartwell, Georgia. And he said, where's that? And I said, I don't have a clue. (laughs) I need to go look at the (laughs) map. Seems like a nice place. Um, But I was 38. And that 38 to 42, my sight really dramatically increased, um, uh, where the vibrations just became constant nonstop. So it was pretty impossible for me for a while um, to discern things driving, I can't see a car ahead of me. I can see a density of particles. So I really don't have much depth perception. Um, So if you were driving the car ahead of me, I would read your mind, and I would know you were going to hit your brakes before you ever knew consciously that you were going to hit your brakes. And that's how I drive. Wow. So, well, that's well, that's a so, different. Well, let me let me just make sure I yeah. don't drive in front of you. But but yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or or if I do, I'll drive. I'll drive uh, very fast. Uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm happy to be speaking with Patty Coughlin about her new book, God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped. And we're we're getting our arms around a unique ability that Patty has to understand our true essence as vibrational creatures. Now, now, now Patty, when you, you talk about these visits in your book, when the father visited you, was, was, it, was it in three-dimensional space or was, or, or was it more of a feeling that you had? Whenever I have a visitation, it is... Um, the best way to describe it is it will be a white light, just an amorphous, no shape, white light. But the serenity, the, the serenity of the white light is a million times more um, intense than what we would ever experience in human form. Um, I cry for days yeah. after one because your whole body almost becomes dissolved and you become part of that of that frequency also. And when the visitation is over, you realize you're back in human, you know, in the solid form. And um, it's pretty devastating um, to get beyond. But for me, 
I, I always look at it as when I get visitations like this, it is specific to do this, do this, do this, do this. And people will say, are you just crazy? I mean, why are you following the instructions of this, of this thing, you know? And it's like, no, my life has been enriched every single time I follow what I'm instructed to do. Um, if I'm in the middle of a lecture and I'm told to pull liver cancer uh, from someone in the audience, I'll literally stop my lecture and go and take in the liver cancer, take that frequency from that person into my body, and go back and finish lecturing. Yeah. So, so for me, the, the visitations, um, I tell people, yeah, you know, I don't believe that there's a God who's sitting up in a golden chair saying, oh, well, I'm going to bless you because you're doing this, or, you know, I'm going to let you die because not enough people are praying for you. I don't believe it works that way. I believe that the particles uh, condense into a learning experience, and, and it doesn't matter if you're miserable or if you're happy. Those are your choices. Um, life in and of itself is meaningless. If we're just particles, if we're just energy, then life itself is meaningless, that every event, you give the meaning to the event, and only you can give it. Um, there's no one that can make you angry. You, you, you're not going to absorb those uh, energies unless you choose to. And again, it's back to your choice. So it really comes back to understanding if you're a particle field and you have consciousness and you have emotion, um, every single thing you do in your life, you are making the choice as to whether or not you're going to be happy or sad about it. Yeah, it, really, it, it, really, does, right, it really does set a, a tone and a foundation for a world of personal responsibility. There's no, Absolutely. you know, there's no doubt about it. And uh, I, you, I, you uh, quote one of my favorite passages from the Bible, um, mm -hmm. which is, which I never understood, by the way. And and the passage is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I always yeah. love that. It's so poetic. And getting to th what this passage means you put mm -hmm. a lot of weight on words what yeah. what do you think that means in the beginning was the word and the word was with god what 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 truth or what meaning do you give to that in your practice in in my world um you know in 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 that passage first there was the word and the word was god and the word was within god um, it doesn't say first there was God and then the Word. And what is words? You know, what are words? They're frequencies. And, and so in my world, uh, what there was was frequencies that developed into a consciousness that we call God. Um, and, and so I kind of put it in reverse of not God first and then frequencies. But it, it, it clearly states first there was the Word. And for me that's a frequency, and then the frequency was God, and the, and, the, and the Word was within God. And what I really love is if you go further down into uh, verse, I think it's 13, um, it says, and the Word created form. And for me, 
it's when we began evolving and becoming um, more than energy beings, we became uh, more dense, um, we began taking shape because we began developing emotions that were less than unconditional. We began developing emotions that were fear-based. And the more that we developed the fear base, the more denser our particle fields became and slowed down so that we actually then became form. Um, and I really interpret it that way, that our words are so critical. Um, you know, as my children were growing up, um, you know, I had to say to them, look, you, you can't lie to me because I can see the lie in your body, but you need to confess or yeah. else punishment's <laughs> going to be that much worse. Yeah. So they spent their whole life coming up to me going, don't look at me, I'm confessing right now. Um, <laughs> that is a classic. Like, okay. That is a classic. That is really, really good. It, I mean, to be, to be put on the, on the spot uh, to your parents that they know so you're in a constant state of understanding that you cannot get away with even a white lie so you, you've got to you be <laughs> absolutely you've got good. it and you know I remember That's one of my good. friends was having a challenge in his relationships mm. um, you know he was 18 19 or so and and he's like hey you know would you mind sitting down and talking to me and my girlfriend you know we're having some problems with communication I'm like, seriously, you know, you're a great communicator. And he's like, no, in the bedroom. And I'm like, wait a minute, you want to talk to me about your sex life? <laughs> and he just looked at me and he's like, well, who on earth would I want to talk to about it other than you? <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're back to frequency again. And what it, what it did, though, was create an incredible relationship among all of us because they knew I was going to see it, whether they told me or not. What it did for me throughout my life is get me out of judgment of people. You know, whether I'm working with somebody on death row or I'm working with, you know, one of my grandchildren or, you know, whatever it is, it got me out of judgment and it helped me understand that every single one of us was going to have a path and we could go from point A to point B and there was 10,000 different ways to get there. But on the day of your death, you will have accomplished what you needed to accomplish. And, you know, people will constantly say, how do I know if I'm on my path? And my response is, how can you be off path? If you don't know what path is, then you have to assume that you're on path. And you give all this anxiety and worry and concern um, to that. And so you're speaking vocally about your worry and concern. And what you're forgetting is that every word you're speaking is being stored within your body. So while psychotherapy and so forth is wonderful in helping us understand behaviors that need to change, we also have to remember that every word we're speaking, even if we're in therapy, if we're an actor um, and we're on stage, your body doesn't have the discernment capabilities of that's not what I want. It takes it in as truth and literally makes it truth. Yeah, I, and, I think that the word, I think your emphasis on words and language I think is is really compelling because what it does from from my standpoint I'm coming I come at things from a logic I'm a lawyer I'm a lawyer so I come at things logically uh, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad but what it what it says to me is that when the word is formed it's really an idea that is being expressed 
with some concreteness. It, you, yeah. you, have, you have formed a thought and you have articulated a word or a sentence. And therefore, that's going to carry some, some power, some meaning, some depth for you. Example would be from your book. You, you have some examples. I think of somebody said uh, that she's got musc- muscular dystrophy. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know, and she convinced herself. And and I think diseases are a prime example of this. Somebody's told yeah. they have something, or and we have half the people in the country. You probably know Patty, who basically diagnose themselves. I mean, I've, I've got a friend who who has a different illness every time I talk to him, but he and he just makes it up because you go on, yeah. you know, Google or whatever, and if you have you know, a limp finger or a sore throat, it, it's something and you call it a name and then all of a sudden you convince yourself you have it. Uh, you, all and, of a sudden you're fearful of the name. Right, right. And, and, and it creates, yeah. Great. Right, right. so, so what do you, so, so what do you do about that? Because that is something I think that's very powerful about, about where you're coming from is how important words are, and then words sort of, in, they can imprison us in, into, the, into these structures uh, that, that we build for ourselves. And so why don't you give an example from your experience or from your, your treatment of, of folks on, on, how, on, what, on what you do when somebody uh, is sending themselves the wrong messages about illness? Yeah. That's, that's such a great question because people, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, before we had microscopes, people had, you know, a bum leg. They had, you know, bad back. Right. Um, they were very generalized in their, in their examples of how their body felt. Um, and so it was very generalized, so it didn't carry as much weight. As soon as we developed microscopes and we were able to start seeing different cellular structure and different cellular patterns, we began labeling it. And then people over time began becoming fearful of the label. And now with technology and the Internet the way it is, you know, you go to your doctor and you say, these are the symptoms I'm having. And the doctor says, okay, well, it could be this, 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 this. And he has to tell you everything that it could or could not be. Um, Or he's going to get sued. Or she's right. going to get sued. Right. So they're going to give you the whole range of what it could be. The problem is that people then go home and they start looking it up. And they look up all the different possibilities. And the thing that makes them the most fearful is what they'll get stuck on. And the body right. automatically begins that process of developing it for you. And if you look at it this way, in your cellular structure, your cells have... Um, uh, circulation, they have a skeletal structure, um, and they have a respiratory, but they don't have a brain. And so your body has no, your cells have no discernment capabilities. So when you say something, you say, uh, wow, I just found out Aunt Zelda has cancer and I'm so afraid she's going to die. Your body has no idea that you're speaking of Aunt Zelda and your fears for Aunt Zelda. Your body only knows that you just made a fearful statement and so your own cells start to shut down and go into protection mode instead of growth mode. And so you become getting sick or begin that process of being sick. Allergies, wonderful example. Allergies, environmental um, chemical sensitivities, food sensitivities are learned behavior. When a person has an allergic reaction, they don't sit and go, 
wow, what was my emotional status, you know, for the 24 hours prior to the allergic reaction? They go, oh my gosh, I'm allergic. And the body goes, okay, I yeah. can do it. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. And, and then it just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories is uh, one of my students now, um, but she had muscular dystrophy um, diagnosed at the age of six. And she went into a wheelchair when she was 35. And uh, she's a hypnotherapist, so she's on the uh, circuit. And um, everybody was just attempting all these treatments and so forth. And she wheeled up to me uh, on her scooter one day when she was 44. And she said, you know, you have never asked to help me. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I, I, you know, I mean, I've got to have a perception, a judgment that there's something wrong with you. I don't have that. And uh, she kind of laughed and she said, you know, I think I want to do a, a cellular. And I said, okay. And it's a process that I do to help get the emotions out of the body. She came to Atlanta. Now, she'd been in a scooter and wheelchair from 35 to 44, um, atheist, married to a Christian, so she had a lot of conflict going on between how she was raised and, and what her husband's uh, belief systems were. And um, in just working two hours, she was able to stand and walk down the hallway to get a soda and come back. By the next day, she was walking on her own. She literally pushed her scooter through the Atlanta airport instead of riding it, <laughs> yeah. walked up her front steps to uh, the house, and for the first time ever, was able to walk in through her front door. Wow. That's... And uh, she didn't tell her parents that she had gone through this. And they showed up a month later. They're used to, you know, having the wheelchair or the, um, you know, stair lifts, uh, stair climbers. And she greeted them at the front door. And they're just kind of looking at her. And she's like, would you guys like a soda? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And she ran down the stairs yeah. and, you know, ran back up. And then they finally realized she wasn't in a, she wasn't in a wheelchair. Um, she's now a semi-professional ballroom dancer, yeah, and yeah. Um, it was her judgment, her the belief that she was given as a child, and what she chose to carry over as an adult um, created um, a continuation of that disease for her. And as soon as she understood and let go, then her body's frequency went back into a healthy state. Yeah, that that's a great story. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond science and religion we're speaking with patty conklin about her new book god within the day god's train stopped and we're talking about the importance of words messaging and beliefs in identifying and healing diseases now i think one of the most important things here not only uh, Patty, do I agree with a lot, a lot of what you're saying here? But and I just don't say it all the time. But uh, I I come at things from a completely different standpoint uh, a little bit because you're more intuitive and, and I'm the logical type as I've already mentioned. But what you put your finger on is something that that is extremely important in our modern time, which is that we are so used to labeling diseases with bad names mm -hmm. whether it, it you know with 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 the big c being the worst one and alzheimer's and and, and the flu and you go on and on and on about these diseases and then the, the pharmaceutical companies you know they have drugs to treat that name that 
that right. disease as if the drug uh, is going is is the uh, magic bullet for right. that illness. And so we've sort of like uh, categorized and packaged these words uh, and and stuck them into our medical uh, structure. And uh, to me, that that makes it harder to break free of mm-hmm. of that tendency. And so I do think this is a is it, this is going to take a while here to to break free, but it's it's part of the uh, experimentation I would call it in yeah. in trying something new, and that that is something that you you know that you're uh, an expert on, and you're you have a demonstrated ability at it, and and what it. What it leads to me is sort of a really a cool thing that I, I need to ask you, and that is, have you been able to uh, associate like physical conditions with specific types of emotional imbalances or spiritual imbalances? For example, a sore throat, you use lower back pain, or a stomach ache. I mean, when you see somebody, I mean, does that trigger, or a headache, does it trigger something? Well, that person, uh, you know, is is too shy, or that person was unnecessarily mean, or I mean, does it? Do you see a correlation the other direction? In other words, a correlation between a physical uh, condition and a spiritual condition? There are a few generalities that I would make, and you know, I've only worked with you know, maybe a little over 100,000 people. So obviously I haven't hit the billions that we have on the planet. Um, but there's a few correlations that, that I do see um, that are pretty regular. Um, women have a tendency to store early childhood memories in breast, uterus, um, ovaries, and not necessarily trauma. Trauma will go to the weakest part of the body in that given moment that trauma happens. Um, men will store in the testicles and the prostate. Um, early childhood memories. Um, Crohn's disease um, is typically someone who internalizes everything and doesn't vocalize. Fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, Epstein-Barr are almost always boundary issues. People who have uh, no ability to set healthy boundaries within their life um, when you look at spinal cord um, diseases, whether it's MS, whether it's a vertebrae, um, whether it's um, a breakage in the vertebrae, um, it, paralysis, it will almost be extreme hatred. Um, and, and, you know, they may have only had one incident in their life, um, but it will be enough. And they're typically very easygoing people. Um, and it's hard to get them mad, but when they get mad, they explode, and they're over it very quickly. They say, I just put it behind me, and they store it in their spine, which becomes very weak after after um, a time period. Okay, okay, so, I need to stop you right there, because because yeah. that resonated with me, because, yeah. you know, in the, in the legal profession, uh, as I was reading your book, I'm thinking, this is a challenge, mm-hmm. because... Uh, law itself is very confrontational and it's very and you and you play roles and many lawyers attack each other instead of instead of focusing on the facts or the law and it is it's a very egotistical uh, profession and and when you were and you and and when you were talking about uh, 
you know, the calm and the bursts. And I'm thinking this this is resonating with me now. But it leads to the question, what do you do about it? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, there are, in all the frequencies that we have, that we know of, that people use, whether, um, you know, some people use Reiki or essential oils or tuning forks or crystal bowls, all of those are passive frequencies that affect the auric field, the external field that I believe we added on when we became so out of balance with the universe. Um, but the only two active frequencies are color and tone. And, and so it's utilizing that. Um, you know, I'm very logical. I'm analytical. I need to understand what it is that I'm looking at. And I can sit for days and analyze why I just did what I did um, to get my answer. Um, and so, but when I'm working with someone, and, and I had a gentleman recently uh, who flew over from Cyprus um, to do some work, and so not only did he have his walls up, but we had a cultural difference. He was very macho. He was very arrogant. He was very uh, vocal, and, um, and I sized him up real quick, and I took him to the middle of a restaurant. And, um, and I started just hammering at him in the restaurant until I got him into tears. Then I knew that I could actually go work with him. Yeah. So, and I was very nice about it. I was very respectful. But my tone, the tone that I presented was very upfront, matter of fact, um, straight, straight at you. I'm not going to hold any punches back, but I'm respectful about it. And I think when you get in situations, especially in the courtroom and, and legalese and so forth, that if you have a day where someone's attacking you or, you know, things are getting pretty, pretty vocal um, and pretty emotional, that it's important at the end of the day to sit down with your body and say, body, what color or tone do I need in order to remove the words that were spoken today? And I do it even every day when I'm lecturing, when I'm telling stories, even though I don't have the same emotional hit as when it happens, I'm re-recording it into my body, right? right? So I have to sit down and do what I call color works, which is what um, I was given a visitation. I had both forms of lupus. I was given less than seven years to live, um, lost my right kidney, had a couple of heart attacks. And I was all in my mid-30s, and I was shown how to do color. And I realized for me it was self-worth issues. I was working in Ph.D. positions with a high school education. And so I was working 100-hour weeks in order to prove that I was worthy of holding that position. So even now as a practitioner and traveling all over the world, when I'm on stage or when I'm working with someone, um, I will literally sit down and do colors for 10 minutes and say, what color do I need to remove the words or the anger um, that I expressed today and move that through my body so that my body releases it? Because if you really look for me, and again, just my thought, but the word, the emotion actually stores in the peptide of the cell. And you have to have an active frequency coming through there that literally is going to shake that cell and it's going to shake the emotion out of the cell. And so if you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to get a low-grade fever. Maybe you'll have diarrhea. 
Um, but what you're doing is actually releasing the toxins of that day out of your body. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. what's so critical. Yeah, I think that that, that it's a, uh, that's a, a I, I would consider that to be a, a very original and well-articulated approach. And now let me put it in little different words because I think, I think you're onto something here, and it all goes back to the vibrational uh, characteristics of our being. Sure. And and we need to remember that we could consider this to be an hypothesis. And as I said in the beginning of the show, that if we take the standpoint that we are at essence spiritual or energetic, then we need to be consistent about it. And I think mm-hmm. that a uh, uh, hundred or two hundred years from now, these things that we're talking about, and frankly, I hope five or ten, but I'm trying to be conservative. Um, <laughs> I hope that the things we're talking about are going to be more status quo uh, yes. as opposed to fringe. But if 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 you view us as being energetic creatures, and we have these bad vibes or this or this negative. Um, uh, reaction to events and we incorporate mm-hmm. that into ourselves and we and we carry it along with us it can't be a healthy thing and no. each of us go through different ways to clean it out I mean myself for example I when I leave work I leave I do my best to leave my problems at work I don't carry them with me I, I like clean the slate I view it as more acting I view what I do as as more playing a role and i try i try not to incorporate it into the the deepest part of myself on the other hand that is almost impossible to do right it, you you do have this uh we, you know we all have this tendency to indoctrinate incorporate um our experiences into what we are this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Patty Conklin uh, about her new book, God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped. And we're talking about uh, the source of illnesses and different ways to manage uh, illnesses by taking a different perspective on where they come from. Now, I don't want to, there, there's two topics that we need to talk about here uh, because they're important to your work. And you use, you use, the word conditional and unconditional mm-hmm. and I, I'm not really sure what what those mean because you use it as in part of the the transition from the this vibrational essence to dense forms and then but you also use it as sort of a a good test of whether we are taking the right approach to the world and our experiences, the unconditional part of this. So can you just mm-hmm. maybe put, try to put those in different words? What do you mean by we became conditional? I think that for me, um, when I talk about conditionalism, I'm talking about the fear and the subsets of fear. Okay. And in, in spirituality, people want to say false evidence appearing real. I, I put it into forgetting every available resource, and that resource is you yourself, because you're as powerful as anything you need to be. Um, and so I think when we start talking about conditional, 
um, we're really coming from a fear base, whether it's anger, jealousy, insecurities, um, so forth. Um, things that create what we consider a heavier energy. I don't really like to use the word negative, but just a heavier energy, a more dense energy. Um, and when we're talking about unconditional, I, I have to say that I think that for the majority of people, they've lost track of what true unconditionalism means. And, and so I, I put it more in this phrase of in an unconditional state, we're in discernment. And that means that I can look at a situation as it's taking place and I can say, you know, that looks like an awesome road. Um, I don't choose to, to walk that road. And I have no um, expectations. I have no emotional connection to the end result of that statement. It's a neutral statement. And I think that that's what unconditional um, truly is, is that we can look at the situation without any reactionary um, stance from our point of view. Now it's tough. You know, we've got families, we've got, we've got things that take place every day. Um, and I think as an individual, when you get triggered, um, it's important for you to sit down and understand why you got triggered because they didn't trigger you. It's something from the fear-based side that actually made you trigger. Yeah. and get upset yeah this is um, this is where i don't this is where i don't follow this and and i don't know whether i read this right or wrong but there uh, the concept of tough love comes to mind here and uh -huh. all and also morality yeah. uh because family members the word unconditional comes up in a family you know i love mm -hmm. you unconditionally i don't care what you do what you are Etc. But we clearly have moral standards, Absolutely. Uh, and and so, and so to me, we need to have. And this is where you know you use the word the father image. I mean, I, I associate the father image with tough love, with you have to have a guidance along, along a moral path. And that Absolutely. was one that was one confusion that I that I had in, in you know in in reading your book because I. I am a I'm an advocate of you know Buddha's eightfold path and the uh -huh. golden rule and all all the great and you know Kant's moral imperative, uh, yeah. which was which is uh, when you act uh, act as if your deed will become a universal principle, and and yeah. so I, I I believe in all that kind of stuff because I think it's necessary. But but I was I, I'm getting I got confused over whether you're saying that. Well, it doesn't matter because you're supposed to love everybody unconditionally. So is that I, I, I don't think it's that at all. Okay. Let, me, let me give you an, an example because okay. I, I think for me as a, as a mom, as a woman, this really kind of uh, put it into place for me. Uh, one of my sons, when he was 16, um, came into my bedroom one night, and he laid down on the bed, and he said, you know, I've looked at your schedule, and you're really booked up over the next three weeks. But would you mind canceling the next three days and just hanging out with me? I, I just really need to talk to you. And I'm like, sure, you know, what's going up? I'm going on. And he said, well, first, I, I really miss you. You've mm -hmm. been gone a lot, and I miss you, and I want to spend some time. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, I went to a party last weekend, and I smoked some pot. And he said, not that big of a deal. You know, haven't done it in a year, but, but smoked some pot. But he said there were some guys there that were dealing heavy-duty drugs. 
and they are making so much money. And he said, I'm seriously considering um, starting to sell that level of drugs. I mean, it just seems like easy money. Right. And, and I just looked him in the eye and I said, this is what I'll say to you. I absolutely love you. And I will support any decision you make in your life. And if you decide to sell heavy-duty drugs, then I will abide by that. I will respect that. I will honor that. I will love you unconditionally. It's there and not a problem. However, I think that's kind of a hard road. And I think you've got choices on which road to take. If this is the road you take, you will have my support. However, you will not live here with me because I will not allow that in my home. And this is my home. So you're going to have to move out. Um, You're telling me you're going to make lots of money. So obviously living's not going to be a problem. We can go to the movies. We can have lunch. We can have dinner. um, You know, we can talk every day by phone. But you will not live here because this is my space. And I'm not going to allow that within my space. It doesn't change my love for you. However, I will not condone it hmm. by allowing you to be in my space. Hmm. Well, I think that's and a we, good I'm we sorry, hung I'm out sorry. for three days, and he finally just said, "You know, I think that's just too hard <laughs> of a road to walk." Well, well, it seems I, it's well. That's a it's a similar uh, way to, I mean, make somebody come to the their own con, their own decision their in own the right conclusion. way, without yeah. telling without dictating them. Because I think most people would have said that in reverse, which is that, you know, no and hell no kind of thing. And, and, right, right, and, right. And, but, but the way, I, I guess the way you did it, it's, it's you know, it's, it's very educational, and I think that is a good example. Uh, and it does, it, does, it does help because sooner or later, I mean, we all know that decisions are much more uh, solid, much, much more... Uh, foundational if the person makes a decision themselves than if it's dictated Absolutely. to them. So, so I think that's, uh, that's, that, that's good to know because I, I also, you know, I have this other issue which is similar to some strands of Hinduism where the, the goal might be to sort of disappear back into the one spirit you know, yeah. to to join with Brahman and and leave the illusory bodies behind. I mean, let's. I mean, you know, Hinduism and and the concept of Maya is very similar to what to what you're talking about. It's also similar yeah. to what I what I do, but but I don't think I think that the physical body is the ultimate goal. See, I I think that that being being with other people and living that's the goal. Because we don't, because otherwise, who wants to be an amorphous blob? I mean, I, I think you know, it might be, it might be fun for a while, but I, I would get a little bored. I think. I mean, yeah. floating so around. I, I think it is about being in the human form, and and to me, spirituality is this: Can I look in the mirror at the end of the day and say I lived my life in integrity and honesty, according to my version of integrity and honesty, not anyone else's? but my own moral compass. And if I can look at that, then I know that the spiritual journey is, the con- is, is I'm on that. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to walk my talk. I'm continuing to do um, what I have laid out for myself. 
the the key for everyone, I think, to really understand this, I have no control over anyone else, even my children. I'm giving, you know, I've been given these beings to help grow and to help understand societies. But their experiences will be their experiences, not my experiences, their experiences. And the more that I attempt to insert myself within their experiences, I begin confusing what it is that they're doing. And it's understanding that everybody's going to have their own opinion. You know, I get many calls from physicians whose, whose patients are demanding that they have a consult with me. And I kid you not, they will get on the phone and they will be so angry. You're a charlatan. <laughs> you know, you're bogus. Yeah. I, you know, what the heck are you charging so much money for? Yeah. And they go on and on. And I let them do their, their rant. And as soon as they're done, I say, I truly appreciate you sharing your opinion. Now, how can I help you? Yeah. Because the reality is their opinion is their opinion. And it's it's not my place to say that they're wrong. Um, It's theirs. And the, the physicians, those physicians have become really good friends. And they said, what made you believable is you never went on the defensive. Yeah. You never defended your beliefs or whatever. You let me rant. You let me call you horrible names. You didn't take it personally, and you moved on to the matter at hand. Yeah. And I think that no matter what we're doing in life um, is understanding that everyone has a right to their opinions. Where you draw that moral line compass is, is it inserting into my life in a way that's out of sync with how I think and feel? And that's where it comes right back to personal responsibility. If you're not looking at what is important to you, what your own moral compass is and guidance, then it's impossible for you um, to set up boundaries with people. Yeah. And then you get this whole confusion of, but they're telling me this. Well, what do you really think? That's the only thing that matters. So, you know, I think that it's important. Um, I had one of my sons um, actually go into prison um, for a vehicular homicide. Wow. And, you know, he was right at DUI. I could have gotten him off, um, but the other the other uh, young man passed. And so uh, he wanted to plead guilty. And he's like, I need to take responsibility for this. Wow. And, and as a parent, you know, you're just in devastation. And, um, you know, the judge threw the book at him. And um, and when he called me, when he got processed and, and called me, I, I just, you know, I'd been crying for days. And I'm the kind of person that if something major happens in my personal life, I stop all work. Because if I can't be totally clear with the people I'm working with, if I'm going through a personal tragedy, um, I'm not going to work. I need to get through judgment or whatever it is that I'm feeling um, before I'll go back to work. And uh, when he called, I said, you know, this is, this is the only thing I can tell you is either you're going to rise above the prison population or you're going to become part of the prison population. Yeah. And the choice is yours. And, you know, as a mom, that's, that's really all I can give you. And, you know, within two months, he was teaching GED math to 70 other inmates and got us firefighters. And, you know, I mean, he just yeah. he just kept his nose clean the whole time he was in, which was eight years, and, wow. um, and came out without a bitter bone in his body, um, never once got in trouble, and just, and just bucked up. 
and and did what he needed to do. It sounds um, it, as a yeah. mom, I had to take two months off. God, <laughs> it like, sounds it sounds like you know, and we're not gonna have time to talk about it, but it sounds like spiritual human in transit in in transformation or in transition. In in transition. In transition. Spiritual, human yep, in yep, transition. It, now, uh, we've we've quickly come to the end, and I've only I always do outlines, and I've. I've only done half of my outline, uh, so there's a lot that we didn't uh, talk about here, Patty. But for those um, who who are interested in what this could do for them, do you have any any tips for for folks who who want to be healthier, uh, who want who who want to um, you know put their diseases aside? I mean any any basic lifestyle tips or or emotional tips that you could give the listener before we close things off here? I think the most important thing for people is to move out of fear. Easier said than done, but understand you're going through a learning process, and everything that you experience, whether it's a disease or an emotional upset, is all learning, and good always comes out of bad. So if you can start looking at your situation and start finding the good lessons, what you're learning, um, and letting go of the negativity with it, your body's going to come more in sync. It's also important, again, to use color or tone uh, with your body to help remove the emotional upsets. Um, But life is a wonderful adventure, and it's a wonderful journey. And if you can look at it, no matter what the situation is, and look at what good just came out of this situation, not only will you change your life, but you'll change your perception of who you are because you'll understand the power and strength you have inside of yourself to change your perception. If you don't like the road you're on, change your perception, and the road itself will change. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And your website is what? is pattyconklin.com and patty is with an i and okay and that's great and as i said uh patty's new book god within the day god's train stopped is being published by rainbow ridge and will be out in about a month or so and uh i i think that this has been i hope an eye-opening um conversation uh, I thought that, uh, as I mentioned before, I thought Patty's book is one of the best, if not the best, in this genre. And I think at the end of the day, what what this all means is that if we can change our perspective, our perception, the big eye, the big view, from the mechanical viewpoint to the spiritual standpoint, and and follow that to its logical conclusion then at, at our source is really energy, um, r- really is vibrations, and it's a matter of accepting responsibility for the vibrations we create, the frequencies we have, and the lives that we lead. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. And yes, I'm going to try to convince Patty to come back in a couple weeks, couple of months, because we have a lot more to cover. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by philip camilla to find out more about philip and his book the collapse of materialism visit the collapse of materialism.com